Baptist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I've got a new Bible. It looks very similar to the last one. I searched it out on Amazon and found the exact same Bible that I've carried uh, into uh, the pulpit every time I've preached, that I've taken to every um, Bible study we've done, to every committee meeting, uh, and has been there in all those moments, those moments where I just underline one thought, or those moments where I uh, tape a timeline into the back of them, those moments where I, um, I find you in here, and those moments where uh, where God has brought these new connections for Scripture. And, and I love that old Bible. It just felt perfect. This one does not quite feel perfect yet because it doesn't have the weight of those moments. Um, it also has about 19 more pages. I was losing uh, Revelation gradually each week as pieces just fell out. Um, and I'm teaching on Revelation right now, so it's a little bit weird to be like, hey, it stops at chapter 11. Um, <laughs> There's some good stuff that happens past that. So I've got, I've got it, a complete Bible now. Um, if anybody plays Bible trivia with me, I can, I can hit all the sections. I've, I've put my little tabs in for this week's text so that if I get shook, I can make sure I can flip right there. And I've put my little tabs on the side, uh, one for Daniel 7 and one for an apocryphal text, Tobit chapter 14. Uh, one day I'll tell you the story of Tobit chapter 14, but that's not today's story. Um, I love these Bibles uh, because they're the story of us being the church together. Um, they are, um, they bear witness uh, to the way God has shown up in our lives and the little scratches on the cover uh, bear witness to that Sunday and the little uh, turn ear of a page here bears witness to that time and, and they for me are moments where I can, I can just look over there and go, I love what God is doing for me and in me and for you and in you. I have many loves in this world, but few, uh, few do I love more than the church, which is uh, a pretty big thing for me because when I came to seminary, I loved Jesus, but really did not love the church. Um, my church had split back home and I had lots of angst about uh, hypocrisy in the local church and I thought, how can, how can people be like that? But the people of First Methodist Church, along with the grace of God and the Spirit working in me, have healed me to understand that uh, none of our bodies are perfect. Uh, and our body as the church is not perfect, and yet uh, it is Christ's very presence on this earth. And, and you as this particular limb of the body, maybe we're the elbow of Christ, I don't know. Um, whatever we are, we're like the best elbow of Christ I've ever uh, been around. Um, so I come to these texts and I see you and I see me and I see us and our story. We're, we're continuing in this series on the letters and this week we flipped to Ephesians, which it's a good thing we use the lectionary because I would preach through Ezekiel and Ephesians and Matthew all the time. Of any of the letters, Ephesians is my favorite. First of all, it's the easiest to understand. Most of them are pretty convoluted. They're full of 
uh, uh, prose discourse and rhetorical whatever. Uh, Ephesians just reads easier to me. But it's also been the book that uh, the people who've most impacted me say, this is the book you go to when you want to see what it looks like to be the church. Eugene Peterson uh, wrote a book and said that Ephesians uh, teaches us how to practice resurrection, uh, to live in the spirit of God and to, and to be filled with resurrection power and to be God's very body on earth. Ephesians is structured in a very simple way. If we're going to chart it on a whiteboard, Bill wants me to bring the whiteboard up here one day. Susan might have just nodded her head for a whiteboard. Um, I'm going to at least take that as an affirmation of a whiteboard. Um, Ephesians is structured in a very simple manner. Chapters 1 through 3 welcome us to this letter and then tell us a lot about who and how Jesus is. And then chapters 4 through 6 tell us how we then go and do that. At uh, 4-1, we have a, a, a pivot. So be, therefore, imitators of God. We have this call to, to literally uh, to take on uh, what we have learned about Jesus in the material before. Uh, this, this letter is, um, we call it the book of uh, the epistles of the church at uh, Ephesus, but our, 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 uh, our scholars point out that we find this same letter with different titles to the church at Laodicea, to the church at Smyrna. And so it seems that Paul is, is using this letter in a circular fashion to all these churches across Asia Minor and saying, this, this is who, you, who I want you to be. This is whose I want you to be. He's sending it along to these churches that he loves and saying, what does it look like for you to practice resurrection? And Paul, you know, doesn't start with a simple, easy story, right? He doesn't, like, bring his Bible up and, like, hey, this is my new Bible. He just jumps right in. In Ephesians chapter 1, we have quite possibly the longest sentence in the whole of Scripture and maybe in the longest sentence in, in any literature outside of German. Paul writes for 14 verses with not nary one period. Would that work in your books, Georgia? Greek will let us do some things that English doesn't let us do. But, but here the breathless uh, um, spirit uh, flowing out of Paul as he starts in verse 1. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the holy and faithful people in Christ Jesus in Ephesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't breathe. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his goodwill and plan and and to honor his glorious grace that he has given to us freely through the son whom he loves. We have been ransomed through his son's blood and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace which he's poured over us with wisdom and understanding. God is according to his goodwill and the plan that he intended to accomplish through his son. This is what God planned for the climax of all time to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things on earth. We have also received an inheritance in Christ. We were destined by the plan of God who uh, accomplishes everything according to his design. We are called to be an honor to God's glory because you were the first to hope in Christ. You too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news of your salvation. You were sealed with the 
promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. If you put it in Microsoft Word, it's going to give you a grammar suggestion. <laughs> I've taken to paying extra money for a thing called Grammarly, where I, I put my writing in there. Amelia, you know about this. Uh, it tells you, uh, it humbles you uh, when you, you, you do your own editing and plop it in there and you go, ha, oh, that, that was some good writing I did, and 425 suggestions pop up. Paul did not stick this into Grammarly or into Microsoft Word, but man, he stuck his heart right in these first 14 verses, this breathless declaration, this, this longing and thanksgiving he has for the people who are in Christ and who are receiving what they will eventually fully receive. You've got the Spirit as a down payment of that which is to come. You, you're sealed with the promise that Jesus made. This same Jesus that I've been talking for the last 12 verses, this same Jesus full of God's power has sealed you and offered you a taste of what is to come. And you don't have to worry, for this is a promise. And he's true. And then we finally get a period. And Paul breathes. And he says, can I pray for you? He didn't really ask permission. That's not in the text. He says, let's pray. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, this is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a, a spirit of wisdom and, and, and revelation that makes God known to you. So his very first prayer is that God will do this work, give you a spirit of revelation that makes God known to you. Uh, Paul's first prayer isn't, hey, fools, get your stuff together and know God. It's that God, through his spirit, would help you to know him. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's calling. I'm not praying for your brain uh, to get this logically correct. I'm praying that your heart is ready to receive. I pray that uh, you will know the riches of God's glorious inheritance among the believers. Paul has just talked about uh, the Holy Spirit as a foretaste, a down payment on the inheritance that is to come. And he says, I want you to know the inheritance that is happening right now. For all this forward-looking we're going to do, for all this vision of the future, I want you to know that you're experiencing this inheritance right now. And that is my prayer. And my prayer is that you would know the overwhelming greatness of God's power that has worked amongst us believers. And he's going to go on and now explain how this power is at work. This power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead. So Paul is praying uh, not for some... Uh, um, ethereal, unexplainable power over there. He is praying for the very power of God that raised Christ from the dead to be available to the church at Ephesus. The same power that sat him at God's right side in the heavens, 
far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power, any power that might be named not only now but in the future. This power that raised Christ from the dead, this power that sat him at God's right side, this power that declares that he is the authority of the whole cosmos over and against anything else. This, my friends, is why I have Daniel 7 highlighted right here. Go home and read it. Flip it open, put a post-it note in your new Bible, and look at Daniel 7, because this thing that Paul is saying is that the same power that set Jesus above the whole created order is available to us. Jesus is not this domesticated, uh, blue-robed, sheep-over-your-shoulder uh, kids at your feet all times, and he is absolutely all those things. But he's also the authority over the rulers and the powers, the one who is seated in the heavenlies. Daniel 7 uh, gets the robes a little dirty, that he is the one, like the Son of Man, seated by the Ancient of Days to have power and dominion over the whole world. And Paul says, this power is available to you. At this point, Paul is throwing a lot of shade. Like that. That's probably, I'm, I'm dating myself by throwing shade, right, Mark? He is, uh, he's talking smack uh, to those who would say that emperor has power, that Caesar is powerful, that Caesar is the ruler. This is an undeniably anti-imperial statement that I am praying that the power that is far greater than any Caesar would be the power that would make known to you the love of God. The same power that now allows God to put under Christ's feet everything. The same power that says no military might, no peace of Rome can be more, can be anything other than under the feet of Christ. And the same power that made him the head of everything in the church, which is his body, which is the fullness of Christ, who fills everything in every way. This power, church at Ephesus, is available to you. Stop looking for the peace of Rome. I pray that you continue in these things that you have been in. Remember in our first beginning, in our 14 verses of ethereal praise, because this is what Paul does before he ever brings the hammer, right? He's like, let me tell you how much I love you. I give thanks every time I hear how wonderful you are. Now here's my prayer. Keep growing in wonderfulness as the Spirit of God does good things in you. Keep growing in holiness as God, whose power raised Christ from the dead, pours that power into you to know him and to have an assurance of the inheritance that is to come. Amen. That is Paul's letter to the church, and that is my prayer every time I look at this for us, that we would not be uh, satisfied with a domesticated little simple look for out there in the distance, cloudy heaven, Jesus, but one where he is reigning on high in these days and resurrection power is available to you and to you and to you and to you and to me to work in us and let our hearts know the love of God and then to shape us in holiness that we might go in God. I admitted to our Wednesday night group this week, I only have one sermon, and I, and I really am finally figuring out, Bill's laughing as he knows this is true, uh, it is getting more and more clear every week uh, when I come to the text. Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, the very uh, 
the very Son of God the Father, who took on flesh for us, filled Israel's promises, met every promise that God had ever made, and finished the story in a way that no one could have imagined. And then through this, uh, this witness taught us what it was to be human. And then through the power of God, defeated sin and death and ascended on high where he reigns and where he intercedes on our behalf to God the Father. So that when we pray things like, God, make us holy, we can actually believe that he will do this. This is not some exercise in good Christian language. This is an exercise in believing that God will bring the kingdom of heaven right in our midst right now. And this is my prayer every day and every week is that God would do this in our midst, that he would make you a holy people, that he would drive the the remnants of sin out of our hearts, they would no longer reign, and that we, we would know the glorious riches of his love and that we would then show that to the world. Listen next week. I promise it's the same sermon, just told a different way. The power of Christ that raised him from the dead is available for you and for you and for you. Amen? Let's pray. Holy and loving God, we, um, we desire that breathless outpouring uh, of love for you and for the church from ourselves that we wouldn't want to write a period, that we would want to uh, declare your goodness and the goodness of the people of God. And Lord, we also long for that, uh, that promised inheritance, and yet we live in the foretaste of it now. Through the Holy Spirit, uh, help us to know what we are in the middle of right now. And Lord, would you make us a holy people, that in and through us the world might know you and might love you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen.